You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hi, this is Lady C. Hey, and this is JT. And we want to welcome you to another episode of The Critical Thought. In the upcoming episode, we're going to be chatting with June and Jared from the YouTube channel Just June. And we're going to be talking about how they woke up as a married couple from the Jehovah's Witness faith. Welcome, June and Jared, to The Critical Thought. Thank you. Hi there. Hey, thanks for coming on. We are so glad to have you guys here. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I know June and I have been in contact quite often on our chat group, and we decided that we would collaborate together to learn about their story and how they woke up as a couple, because we end up talking to so many people where they just want to know how to wake up their spouse. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about that with them. And we're going to start with Jared, and he's going to tell us briefly how he woke up to the truth about the truth. Thanks for having us on, guys. Um, I guess my story, I was born in as a, as a Jehovah's Witness. And from a very early age, I kind of had some reservations about it, but got married. Uh, we got married very young. And I, I always had nagging doubts uh, my pretty much my whole life, but was happy in my marriage. We had a pretty happy family life. So I kind of put those doubts away. And it wasn't until probably in my 30s where things started to really become harder for me. As the kids got older, of course, life got a little bit more complicated. So once I got into my sort of mid-30s, things got a little harder for me. I moved to this area when I was 21. So we were in this hall for about 15 years. Very loving, a lot of family, a lot of friends. And, you know, we were kind of going on our merry way. Then we moved. So we moved halls as you're supposed to. And the new hall was much, much different. Um, it was a less diverse hall, which we didn't love. And then the elder body there, it was like a, a police state. Like everybody was, was snitching on everybody else. Everybody was in everybody else's business. And so it, on the one hand, they're encouraging me to reach out to become a ministerial servant because I wasn't yet. And on the other hand, I was looking at how the men in charge were running things, thinking if I become a ministerial servant, I'm aligning myself with this group of men that I just don't like and don't want to align myself with. So at that point, I just had had enough. And it was after a meeting. Um, I, I walked outside. It was just before the meeting was over, actually. I walked outside in the parking lot and she came out, you know, concerned what's wrong. And I said, look, I'm not trying to threaten. Um, but if we keep going to this hall, I'm just going to quit going. The, one of the elders at this kingdom hall, he actually said to me when there was a Bible study that was just down the street from us that was having marital problems. He told me that it was my job as a Jehovah's witness to like watch her and be on guard of what she was doing with her marital status and to monitor her. And I was like, is that what we're supposed to do? 
And he said, yes, as Jehovah's people, that's what we are supposed to do. And in this congregation, that's exactly how the whole congregation was. They monitor one another. It was, it was such a watchdog situation. And I didn't know what to do with that because that was not the congregation I ever grew up in neither was the one he grew up in. So it was a very weird, we didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah. What you guys have described is, is often referred to as the Gestapo state type congregation for where sure. the culture in the congregation is always for you to snitch, to yeah. be ready to run to the L's, anything someone does. Um, and that will cause people like yourself, to take that step back. And was that what you guys continue to see that caused you, Jared, to say, I, I need to look at this thing again, as you saw this thing literally unfolding right in front of your eyes? Yeah, we had never, in, in the halls we went to previous, that's not how it worked. So we never really saw the dark side, you know, and this was a brief, a relatively brief period. I think we were only there for about five years. Um, but, Prior to that, you know, we were fairly happy, even with the doubts I had all along, really love being a Jehovah's Witness. We had a happy life, so I was able to rationalize that, and that kept me in. But this was just a whole different thing, and we really saw sort of an ugly side of, of what the religion can do and, and how it, it just did not make us feel good at all. Um, so that's, that really – that was a big contributing factor – um, and man, I wish, I wish she would have, uh, June would have taken a hard line at that point and said, we're staying because I probably would have quit then, but <laughs> that's not how it worked out. <laughs> oh, you're oh, kidding yeah. me. So then after all this went down, where did you go next? So what we did was my, my wife said to her credit, you know, she, she was doing what she thought was the loving thing at the time. She's like, well, then we're going to go. We're going to, we'll get out of here. And we went back to the hall that we had come from about five years before the hall she grew up in. I had been in since I was 20 and this is a loving hall. Same thing. Lots of family, lots of friends. You know, it was the same place. It was like a homecoming. And honestly, that kept us in. I think I was 38 or 39 when we moved back and I didn't wake up. I didn't stop until I was 45. So that kept us in another six years. Yeah, that's very, very powerful because Lady C and I, we often talk about what it would have been like if we had been in certain congregations. And because of, and this is what keeps so many people in, that social setting, that social aspect of the organization, that is probably from what we have seen over the years, that is the biggest driver for keeping people in the organization it has nothing to do with religion it has nothing to do with the doctrines, the teachings. They stay because they got friends. And yeah. so that helps them to excuse any of the errors, any of the mistakes. Well, I got friends, but, but, but aren't we supposed to be about the truth? And so that is a very, very common perspective. I'm staying because I got lots of friends, not because of whether it's the truth or not. And we've right. seen that. So, okay. So now then, um, Jared, at this point, you know, you're at this new congregation. What is the big crack in the foundation that really gets you going? Well, I so we go back to this hall and 
I was really close with the the coordinator. Um, still love the man dearly, and he he basically convinced me to kind of give it a go, give it the old college try. So I did, and I got appointed about oh, probably eighteen months after we moved Kingdom Halls, and actually seeing how things worked behind the scenes was a huge factor for me. Um, it was there was two things. I saw how how the how the organization functioned like a corporation because uh, he would he would kind of let me in on how things were working. I think he was hoping I would become an elder and sort of we'd work together. And then around 2013, when the meetings stopped being what we all grew up with and started being a video production, I was basically tasked with that. And that made the meeting stop being any kind of spiritual experience for me and just being a product that I needed to produce and get out because we were doing things with PowerPoint presentations and lots of slides during the meetings and the videos. And there wasn't like software to do it. So we kind of had to make it up as we went. Um, so those were the two big things that just uh, the big cracks started forming. And by the time 2017, Early 2018 rolled around. I was completely just sleepwalking and disillusioned. I didn't want to do it. Would do things like lead the group out for field service on Saturday with my daughter. Tell them we had a couple calls to make. And then we would just hit a laundromat and go home. Like I was just, I was just really going through the motions and very, very unhappy. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> We hey, covered man. those laundromats. The, 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 the elder that, that was one of the things that always got me when I was growing up as a kid. The elders would always disappear. They would take us to the territory and they disappear. I'm going to see Sister Davis up here. We'll be back. Yeah. Because nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to do it. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. I'm, I'm glad you shared that experience with about what happens when you get the chance to see how the sausage is made. You get to see behind the curtains. And it's at that point you either will become part of the system or you will begin to be repelled by the system. And unfortunately, oh, it's, it's so most, true. Yeah. I mean, six months into being a ministerial servant, I told my wife, I'm not ever going to be an elder. I don't want to sit in judgment of anybody like this is ridiculous how this works. I just want to be left alone and you know, mind my own business. Yeah. And wow. that's why there's a constant need for people to be convinced, well, you're doing this for Jehovah. Jehovah is using you. But it, it, you begin to see the business aspect the minute that you become a ministerial servant or an elder. And, and you have to keep convinced. It's just, it's just like every person who is a Jehovah's Witness. They have to keep convincing themselves, I'm enjoying the meetings. This was a great meeting today. And, and, and you know, brothers talk was sad. And everybody's falling asleep. But you got to keep telling yourself that. And so as you move up each level in the organization, you have to keep convincing yourself this is the right thing to do. And right. that's kind of the, the way it works for most people until you reach the point, can't do this. I also came to the realization, and some of the few times I actually did go out in service for real, that the, the ministry was never about bringing people into the religion. It was about shared rejection, bringing everybody already in closer together. You know, you'd go to a door, either they weren't home, you get yelled at, you go back to the car. How did it go? Uh, it didn't go well, man. We're really close to the end. And everybody just kind of, it just reinforced what everybody already thought. And I really believe that 
that's what the ministry is for it because how many times you really don't see a whole lot of new people being brought in that way, but it's a way to keep people busy and to keep people kind of galvanized that, man, we are really close to this all ending and they need that. That's an excellent yeah. point. Keeping the friends busy. That was a statement that I'll old deal. Always. We got to keep the friends busy. That's a great point, man. That really is. So let me ask you this question with all of this going on and the things you're dealing with and the things you're seeing, how did that lead you to where you started examining things about this organization? Yeah, that's a great question. I, the funny thing is a lot of it was talk research. Um, in the beginning, when I first got appointed as a servant, so it would have been uh, like 2013, I would have a part and I didn't want the part to just be run of the mill, the, the one that put people to sleep. So I would try to do some external research, maybe get some supporting facts to back things up, that sort of thing. And then invariably, I would end up on an apostate or semi-apostate website, maybe give myself five minutes, get out of there. Kind of felt bad about it at first, but then the longer I did it, the easier it got. And so it was really trying to do research to try to make my parts somewhat interesting is what kind of led me down the internet rabbit hole. Because I I was very naive, even being an internet, I've been around the internet since it was a thing. I always assumed when they were talking about apostate materials, it was, you know, the, the handbills we used to get out in service occasionally, or the apostates picketing at a, at a convention. I never really thought about looking online for it. So I just kind of found it by accident. And then once I did, that opened my eyes a lot to, to what was going on. Yeah. Once you, I like, I like down the rabbit hole. That's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then what was the first uh, website or YouTube channel that you actually came across when you, during your wake up process? I think there was like a couple of um, message board sites like JW talk or something like that, but it was Paul Grundy's um, uh, JW facts was a, it was a huge one for me. Cause it, the way it was laid out, I really liked to read and he had a lot of information that I could just, just sit back and read. And it was fantastic. Yeah, that is so true. That site was a very powerful site for me. Um, and now at this point, what do you do with this newfound knowledge? Because you're married, you got a family. What do you do with this? Nothing, unfortunately. I just swallowed it all and was and was trying to figure out uh, uh, an exit strategy. And honestly, ho kind of hopeless. I didn't see a possible way out. Though it was it was a dark time about for about a year, year and a half, and. It was it was very difficult. Well, you know, that's very interesting that you were able to stumble across this information and be able to hold it for like a year and a half. Because I know people that called us up on the phone and they were like, I, I want to tell my family today. How do yeah. I how do I break this news? So you want to go ahead and finish telling us how the process worked for you? Yeah. I mean, I was I was. uh I didn't have any interest in just leaving by myself. I, I was not going to be willing to lose my family over it. So if it was a matter of I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel like there was a chance of my family coming out with me, I probably just would have stayed in and been miserable. Um, but fortunately, that didn't happen. Um, in October of 2018, 
my wife went away to an inpatient facility for about a month. And that was the, the thing that for our family sort of s- stopped time, if you will. Um, I had some real conversations with my children for the first time. And we all sort of gave each other permission to really talk freely about how we all felt. And it turns out we all felt the same way. Except for me, I wasn't there. Except for me, I wasn't there. She, you know, this was, this was with my wife absent from the picture and we didn't do anything Jehovah's witness related for that month. Um, it's amazing that once I really, you know, I had looked and I was pretty sure, but then once you really delve into it, you see how, how deep the rabbit hole goes. And it's just, it was an overwhelming amount of information for me. Um, but we, I was determined that we were, we were done. Um, and that's pretty much how I woke up. I, I feel bad because this was all done three, three of us with one, one very important member of our family, not, not kind of in on those conversations because she couldn't be at the time, but that's how it went down. And I knew at least when I left, I was getting out with my kids And I had a really, really good feeling that though it would take some time that uh, June would come out as well with me. Amazing. Is it not amazing how your kids or young people, they're ready to go? (laughs) Yeah. Daddy, we've been waiting for you a long time. I mean, they're ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I have got, you know, our, our daughter came out a few years. Our daughter came out a few years prior and that was another big, big chink in the armor for me. Um, so when we, when I told her what I, what my thinking was, her reaction was, "Oh, thank God!" Like she'd had to sit there for a couple of years and just listen to all the homophobic stuff just streamed from the platform constantly and in conventions. She was not not happy at all. And then my son really just he. He didn't want to, he was kind of where I was. He was just kind of going through the motions and didn't want it. Um, but we were all born in. And he had been a pioneer. Yeah. And my son had been a pioneer. So it's not as if he was not taking it seriously and doing it to the fullest extreme. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing we were from the outside looking in, we were sort of like the model JW family. You know, we would auxiliary pioneer from time to time. My son regular pioneered. Um, we would, you know, we were regular at meetings. We were commenting at meetings. We were out in the ministry. We did all those things and you would hear stuff like it's clear Jehovah's blessing your family when you know full well, that's not the case. And that was really another thing that just sort of solidified. This is not it. This is not the truth. This is not what they say it is. Me and ladies see, we discuss this all the time. How many people are sitting at the kingdom hall and they simply do not want to be there, but they're there because of their circumstances. So Jared, when, what, what was, what was the the steps leading up to June? So when you guys are having this conversation, you and your two kids, you're talking about the organization and June is not present. How do you guys begin to include her in some of these discussions or start to help her wake up? Well, it, it was funny because because I wasn't going to meetings for that month. I also wasn't shaving, so this happened, and she started to get a little suspicious. Lady C, I'm not going to lie. Um, 
I think right around week three, she she was starting to really get suspicious of what was going on. But because of the fragile state she was in, we really kept some things from her um, because it just wasn't she was dealing with a lot of stuff already. And it wasn't the time or the place right the day before Thanksgiving, I think it, or no, it was the day before Christmas of 2018. She came home. And that's when we kind of the, the proverbial, you know, what hit the fan. Um, and she just flat out asked, so what are you guys doing? Are you doing this or not? And we had to tell her, no, we, we weren't. And those first couple of weeks were really touch and go. So June, let me ask you this then. Mm-hmm. What was it like when you found out that your husband and your two children were basically planning on leaving Jehovah? So I was in a facility for um, alcohol abuse and I said to them, so you want me to start drinking again, right? That's your plan. You know, like I (laughs) I have no idea what you guys want me to do here because I I was overwhelmed. I I had no idea how to handle it because I was a true believer. I totally and 100% believed that the Jehovah's Witness religion had the truth. And so when I came home and they said this to me, well, number one, they were visiting me on a regular basis at the treatment center. And like he said, they were coming in, both my son and my husband had beards. And I'm like, why do you have beards? And on top of it, my daughter was just, saying things to me that made me realize they were not viewing things the same way. Um, I was devastated. Devastated is the right word. I did not know quite what to do with it. And I thought if they can stop loving Jehovah, they could stop loving me. And that was the real tricky part. You know, June, that's a very powerful, um, st- that's a very powerful personal experience. Um, your, your world is literally falling apart. Um, as you look at this now, did you feel that I need to go to the elders, let them know my family is, is, is doing it? I mean, what did you, what did you do? How did you respond? So the elders knew I was at the facility and we were at the kingdom hall that we felt very comfortable with and loved and they were very a lo- very loving group of elders and so they were very kind and I was not disfellowshipped like I was not reproved anything unbelievably I felt very lost I was in a very lost place because even though they were loving with me they gave me no help either um like when I say loving I say they I mean that in the sense that they didn't do anything mean. They didn't like take any action against me, but they didn't do anything to help me get where I needed to be either. Like I needed AA, I needed help. I needed real help. And that's not available in the Jehovah's Witness world. And when I tried talking to the elders about those things, they just, they were deer in headlights. They had no idea what to say to me. And my family, on the other hand, my husband and my children were like, I'll go with you to AA. I'll go with you to a meeting. I'll do whatever you need. They did whatever I needed to help me. 
So I was in this really bad place in life where I needed help more than ever. And my family was there by my side and Jehovah's witnesses were nowhere to be seen as far as help goes. And then when I would go to the meetings by my, they would tell me your family is terrible and not coming here. Literally, I had people tell me your family is terrible and not coming here and going to die. I literally had someone tell me that. And my family was the only ones supporting me and helping me get through one of the most terrible moments of my life. So how do you make sense of that? Do you know what I mean? So June, what I hear you saying is here you are coming out of rehab. You find out that your family is no longer going to meetings, but the people in the congregation, when they knew you needed help with your abuse, didn't help you. But Not then when they found out that your family wasn't going to the kingdom hall, it's like, Oh, they're bad people and they're going to die at Armageddon. So at yep. that point, did you basically, that, is that the reason why you really felt like when they stopped going and you knew the real reason why that you did not turn them in for the real reason why they were not going to the meeting? Yes. I, I, when I went to the kingdom hall, I never, I would have elders or people in general talk to me and ask me, where's your family? And I would just be like, they're at home. And they would pressure me about it. And I would just be like, they're just not feeling it right now. And I would never say like, they don't love Jehovah anymore. Or they don't want to be a Jehovah's witness anymore. I never said negative things about the truth or about the organization. And yet they would say negative, terrible things about my family members, about my husband and about my children to me. They would be like, yeah, well, you know, if they're not here, where are they going to be in the future? And what what are you supposed to say to that? You know, like people, I had this one woman that I didn't even know that well, because unfortunately, right when I got out of rehab, I had to switch kingdom halls because our kingdom hall got dissolved because a million kingdom hall got kingdom halls got dissolved at one time and they you know, reestablish things. And I had to go to a different kingdom hall and I went to a new kingdom hall and this older woman came up to me that did not barely know me, but probably heard a bunch of things through the rumor mill and told, asked me where my family was. I told her they weren't there. And she told me if they're not here, they're not going to make it in the new system. You know that. So she told me, and I'm like, you don't even know my name. And you're telling me that my family is not going to make it in the new system. That's real kind. Thanks. And that was the meeting that I left. And I think I never went back again after that older woman that I don't even know her name came up to me and said that to me. Well, you know, June, and that, that's, that is cruel. And I know I just ran across some documentation where somebody had sent us, a, um, gave us a message about being destroyed as well. Now, when you decided not to go back to the Kingdom Hall at that point, were you still believing that this was the truth? 
I did. Yes. I, I, I still believed and I was still struggling with it. I actually still believed that my family might not make it into the new system, but I didn't believe I was going to make it in the new system because I knew that my mindset wasn't the right way to make it into the new system, according to all of the scriptures that were out there. So I thought, well, you know, we're not going to make it. And then somewhere along the line, I don't know where, and I can't tell you what exactly, but talking to Jared and him, he, I kept asking him, what made you think it's not the truth? What made you believe it's not the truth? And he would say to me, I'll tell you, but you can't unhear it. And when he would say that to me, I would be like, what? What do you mean I can't unhear it? And he'd be like, I'll, I'll tell you whatever you want to, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so I'll tell you, but that's it. Then you're stuck knowing the truth. And I think that was the best way to put it for me because I didn't ask him right away. I didn't say, okay, well, tell me. I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to hear this. Like, wait a minute. That, mm, wait a minute. And so it made me take a step back and think there must be more to this than I am aware of. I thought I knew everything, but even though I'm 45 years old, maybe there's a few things I have yet to learn. And I um, finally asked him to share some things with me, and he did, and he shared them, some online, some just verbally. And when I finally realized it was not the truth, I threw up for two days straight. Oh, my yeah, that, goodness. Yeah. Oh, sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah, what, what Jerry said is true. Um, you cannot unhear it. You can't unring the bell. Uh, we know people who you know, they, they have said at one time they wish they did not know so they could stay asleep. Uh, you know, the old saying, you know, ignorance is bliss. Um, and that's kind of the way it is for a witness there. It, once you find out, you can't back it up. You can't make it real anymore. Um, the point that you made, and I, and I think it's very important that people understand what you said, because it is a very powerful uh, coal handle steel, that velvet glove. You go to the Kingdom Hall, the people who are supposed to love you are treating you like dirt. And the people at home who are not supposed to be showing love, they're the only ones who are showing love to you. It is, it, it is a, it's an oxymoron. It really is. Um, but this is how this organization works. I mean, it, it's, it, it really gets you when you're down. It really does. Yeah, so at this point, what happens next? Yeah, I'm going to have him tell what his okay. strategy was because he did have a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. My... My initial approach was so 100% the wrong way to go. I did what everybody does, I think, or everybody tries to do. It's the same thing when I remember when you'd get a new person coming to the congregation, everybody was like, they're going to information dump all over all of their family and turn them off to Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what I did to June. I was like, I probably for the first close to a week, I was showing her every article I could find, every everything on Reddit I could find, everything on YouTube, and she was just shutting down. And it was actually 
my son, who is so much more emotionally intelligent than I am, took me aside and was like, dude, what are you doing? That's not, this is not the way he said, you have to let her come to you. And I, I generally listen to him cause he's a smart kid. So I just backed off and that's where, what June said before, where I, I, we kind of like went to our separate corners a bit and didn't really discuss it. She was going to the meetings. I was not, we were getting along otherwise just fine though. And then finally, little by little, the curiosity got the better of her. And that's when it started with, well, what is it about this you you can't do or don't want to do anymore? And that's when I knew to just avoid that temptation to push in hard. And I just backed off a little bit further. And I just let her come to me when she was ready. And it was, it was actually really funny because I could tell she would always – at that time we had, she had uh, afternoon meetings. So she would study her watchtower in the morning before the meeting. And we, I was usually just watching soccer games or whatever. And she would study her watchtower. And for the first few months, study it all was well, go on her merry way, go to the meeting, come back about three months in. She started basically hate studying the watchtower. Just like, can you believe this crap? And that's when I knew it was, it was, pretty much just a matter of time because she would, she would start pointing out stuff in the articles from the completely apostate point of view, even though she didn't know, I think she was an apostate before she knew it basically. <laughs> um, um, but then, you know, eventually we, we finally had our, our big talk about, you know, kind of certain doctrinal things that didn't make sense, dates that didn't make sense and just the like the fact that 8 billion people have to be massacred so 8 million people can survive like that type of logical thinking and by now she was in the right mindset where all these things were landing and and that's when she she had a pretty visceral reaction to realizing uh-oh that this isn't real none of this is real the paradise isn't coming and and that was a it was a tough time but ultimately really thankful for it because it got us to where we are now. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think in latency and I, we've discussed this on so many occasions. This is probably the most important thing that people understand when it comes to getting their family out. You cannot dump on them. You can't do that. And the way you explained it, that is the best technique. It may not guarantee, but one thing is for sure. If you try the dumping, the dumping is not going to work. It's not going to work. You have to fight every instinct to do it. Yeah. I, I, cause, and I realized this because then he was so kind with me. And then I really wanted to wake up my mom and I dumped on her. Hmm. I did the exact thing he tried to not do with me. And I did it with my mom and it backfired in every way. You know, she, did all the typical things of putting up a wall and, you know, doubling down and just saying, no, 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 it's the truth. It's the truth. And my mom's not even probably the most staunch Jehovah's witness out there, but she became one when I started pushing her. So that's not the way. I just want to tell people, don't do that. Yeah. Back up, give people space, 
make your points, but, and say things as you can, but don't push. And then one other thing, you know, you have to realize that the people you're trying to wake up in a lot of cases have been in, in this for decades, sometimes their whole life. You're not going to get somebody out in the space of a, a week. But having said that, once you're in the right frame of mind and give yourself permission to actually critically look at this stuff and after you can undo it all in an afternoon, like it, it falls apart so quickly, but it's all about what kind of mental state you're in. And if you're giving yourself permission to actually critically think about this stuff. You know, that's an excellent point. Um, and that's the way it was with me and my wife. Once you realize this is not the truth, it, it, the, all of the scales just fall off your eyes. All, all of the scales fall off. That's true. I remember when we were waking up and it was like, I think, Jared, I was a lot like you, where I just hated my congregation. I think that is the reason why when JT approached me, I was just ready to go. I was like, if somebody found something about this religion and I was already looking at the foundation and the, the one thing that they sold us is that the witnesses showed love and had love. But when you're sitting there in that kingdom hall and you just don't feel that love, that when somebody finally says, hey, look, let me just show you something over here. You got to read this article. That's what really made me start to stop and think that there had to be something to what he was saying, yeah. because the people were already showing that they didn't have the love that the religion claimed that they had. That's very true. Very true. You can go first. So, so June and Jared, if, if you had to, as you look back now and you see the mistakes that you've done, um, you see the things you did right. Um, what is your takeaway as you look back over all the years that you were involved in this religion that you, and advice that you can give to other people who may be just starting on this journey of leaving this organization? I would say don't think it's so easy to have friends within the Jehovah's witness organization. You have built in friends and coming out of it at 45 and trying to make friends was not easy, but don't think you can't make friends. Don't think you can't find a new way of life and you don't have to have, that's the thing. Jehovah's witnesses, like you have a built in 150 friends like at an assembly easily. So you think you, when you come out of this religion that you need to have 150 friends when that's not normal, <laughs> that's not typical. Having five good friends is reasonable and you can find at any age, a few good friends. You just have to go out there and be willing to put yourself out there and look for it. And I have found through a few different avenues, some really good friends that I'm so thankful for. And I think that that's, especially at my age, that was one of the things I was so fearful of. Am I going to be able to find anybody to be friends with? Because I had had the same friends. I was raised as a Jehovah's witness. I'd had the same friends from the time I was born to the time I was 45 and I knew none of them were going to talk to me anymore. 
and I knew most of my family, I have a few family members that are not Jehovah's Witnesses that still talk to me, but most of my family members were Jehovah's Witnesses as well. And I knew they weren't going to talk to me either. Not, I mean, I'm not disfellowshipped, but, you know, not, they don't talk to me very much. <laughs> so it's, um, you can find that. Don't be afraid to be yourself, go out there and look for friends and you can be in the community, go to the, go to a community center, go, you know, to an animal shelter. There's places to be to find friends and people, Jehovah's Witnesses just don't think about those things because you've always had the built-in way of doing it. And that's probably my, one of my things I would say. And for me, um, while you're in, if you if you have that little voice in your head telling you that something doesn't add up and something's not right, listen. Listen to the voice. Do the research. And at the same time, uh, the best advice I got was actually from my therapist because I had been going a couple years before we stopped going to the meetings. And once we I stopped, I sent him an email that was basically like, it's all hit the fan. And what he sent me back was, there's no need to rush re-examination of your faith or all these value systems. Building slowly and piece by piece is a more skillful way to, to go, was the exact thing he sent me. And it was the best advice. So if you are, say, a teenager, because uh, a lot of a lot of these kids now with YouTube and TikTok and all of that are waking up earlier, be safe. Do what you have to do until you can safely make your exit. If no matter what stage of life you're in, you don't have to rush it. And then just know that, you know, the world is obviously not a perfect place, but it's not what they make it out to be either. There's a lot of good people out there. There's a lot of good organizations out there. Um, you know, I had this epiphany <laughs> during Halloween last year. We were sitting on our front porch handing out Halloween candy to all these adorable little kids and you felt like you were even something little like that. You felt like you were part of this community. And that's exactly what they don't want you to know that even little moments like that exist. They're beautiful. And it's, you know, it's, it's not real scary out here. It's actually like hitting that easy button from Staples, much easier way to live your life. That's great. Uh, th those are two things that Lady C and I, we always emphasize, uh, build a new clientele of friends, and there is life out the watchtower. <laughs> June and Jared, we want to thank you so much for being on The Critical Thought, sharing your story. And for those of you who want to know more about June and Jared, be sure to check out their YouTube channel at Just June. And what I'm going to do is leave the link to their channel in the description. This has been Lady C. And this has been JT. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Take care of yourself. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.